the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Oh, here we go. We have the the Dershowitz intro song, and then usually the outro song goes with my way. But uh, before we bring on Professor Alan Dershowitz on Wednesday, December the 20th, I can't believe it's it's just blowing me away that this is our our holiday party. I believe I picked this date in August, and I was like, oh, that's so far away. Well, here it is. It is tonight, the ABK slash uh, Idola Power Hour slash These City Streets podcast. Uh, our big holiday shindig. Um, so I just want to um, tell everybody that I'm excited for our next guest because last night when we were on the air live, uh, this decision came down about um, the uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, their highest court. It's amazing because in New York, the Supreme Court is actually the lowest court. But our highest court uh, in Colorado Said nope. Uh, President Trump is uh, is forbidden from being on the ballot uh, for president of the United States because of his actions on January the sixth. Um, we're basing this on a fourteenth section of the Fourteenth Amendment that has never been used before, uh, especially for president of the United States, based on it, that was inserted during the Civil War, and uh, it's just it really shakes the foundation of uh, of our society. So, of course, once this came down, I looked right at Joe and I go, you got to get me Dershowitz for tomorrow. So without further ado, the one, the only, Professor Alan Dershowitz. Good evening, sir. How are you? Well, I'm good as a person. I feel a lawyer, a constitutional lawyer, violated by this absurd decision. Uh, it's not surprising because there's a whole group within the Democratic Party that believes the Constitution belongs to them, and they can interpret it any way they want for partisan advantage. The leaders of the group are Professor Lawrence Tribe of Harvard, my former colleague, and my former student, Jamie Raskin, for whom the Constitution has no meaning beyond whether it can help the Democratic Party win elections. And this stretch is so absurd. I mean, the framers of the 14th Amendment had in mind making sure that people who fought in the Civil War against the North couldn't serve in the Senate and the House, which was busy doing Reconstruction, and they didn't want, you know, uh, Reconstruction to be upset by, by former, uh, by former Confederates, and uh, and the idea that they would give the power to the states to decide who can run and who can't run—that means that the Northern radical were saying, "All right, let's let Mississippi and Alabama." decide who can run for president. I mean, it's the furthest thing from the mind of any framer of the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment is explicit. In Section 5, it says Congress has the authority, and it's really the only authority, to pass legislation to implement the provisions of the 14th Amendment. It doesn't give any power to the states. In fact, it takes power away from the states. So, uh, Alan, let, let, I know what people want to know, and the question I got texted over and over again is like, sure. what happens next? Does uh, Is it automatic that the Supreme Court takes up this case? In other words, is it, no, is it in no, the con- Constitution? That, right, it's not automatic. So explain no. that to people. Here's what happens. First, there's a stay in effect right now until early January. The Trump lawyers will move for a longer stay to allow his name to remain on the ballot pending a decision by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will probably grant that stay. They will then set up 
argument probably fairly early, maybe in February. Well, just to be clear, Professor, just to be clear, so people know, in the Colorado Supreme Court decision, they implemented the state. They, on their own, said this will not go into effect until until January when the Supreme Court decides what they want to do. Right. And the Supreme Court will decide probably to grant the stay because you can't put somebody on a ballot uh, late if you rule in their favor. You can take them off the ballot if you rule against them. So the logical thing is to allow his name to remain on the ballot. But, you know, it's it's so disruptive what the Supreme Court did, because even if they were to be, be affirmed in the Supreme Court, what do you think is going to happen? The Republicans are going to say, we hereby abolish our primary. It's after all just a, a, a Republican primary. We hereby abolish the primary. We're going to go into caucuses. And in the caucuses, we're going to nominate uh, uh, President Trump. And uh, so he'll be on the ballot. And if he's not on the ballot, uh, they'll go to the courts. But it's so disruptive. You know, the most important thing is to make sure the 2024 election is clean. And and whoever wins and loses, there's no doubt about that. And this is just throwing doubt. If Trump is taken off the ballot in some states, and it's not only Colorado, because other states can follow suit, Frankly, I don't accept it. Even though I'm going to vote against them, I wouldn't accept a verdict um, that was influenced by the thumb, or the elbow in this case, of the judiciary telling us what we can vote for. I have the right to vote against Donald Trump, and I don't want a court to take that away from me. So, Alan, real quick, how, what, I mean, is this a purely uh, political move by these judges? I don't know what they think in their own mind, but there's no justification for the result. And we know that all seven of the justices were appointed by Democrats. Of course, three of them voted dissent. Right. Um, so they may in their mind think it's the right thing, but I don't think any, any, reasonable student of history or constitutional law could think that the framers intended to give every state the power to decide who's on the ballot based on their own interpretation of what constitutes an insurrection. You know, tomorrow, Texas will say that Biden has to be taken off the ballot because his failure to close the borders and allow thousands of people to come in constitutes an insurrection. Absurd. But, you know... Who's going to stop them if they if they say it? If this precedent is allowed to be to go forward, and well, you know, as you Black said, Lives Matter demonstrations are they insurrections? What's going on in New York now today when people are calling for the overthrow of the United States government and the overthrow of the Israeli government, and they're you know uh, engaging in violence against uh, you know a prominent actor, Elie Wiesel's son, uh, was told by the police. He had to put away his Israeli flag or else his life might be in danger. Is that an insurrection? I mean, we're moving into such murky territory here. Well, I, Alan, I hear you loud and clear. Um, thank you so much. I agree with everything you said, as usual. And um, I, will, I will be, I will be uh, working on those matters you asked us to work on. So okay, I have to Merry head over. Christmas to, uh, Merry thank Christmas you. to everybody and Happy New Year if I don't speak to you before that. We will miss you at our holiday party, Alan, but your name will be bandied about. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that was Professor Alan Dershowitz, and it is really scary. It's a slippery slope. We're starting to go down. I want to tell you real quick about the rest of this show. Um, we, I have an interview with Alan Grubman, who is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's a lawyer. A uh, great lawyer, a great friend. He's been so nice to me over the years. I mean, I know him through Bruce Sharrett and the and the Friars Club, and um, he uh, he is going to um, tell us so much about the ins and outs of the world of music. Um, I know it's a little different than what we normally talk about here and, and talking about the local issues in the city, but uh, I think you're going to find it fascinating. He's a great interviewer or interviewee, I should say. Um, and we actually uploaded the, that we did a video as well as uh, the audio of this and it's uploaded on, um, uh, around town on the social media platforms called These City Streets, um, with yours truly. So, um, I hope you enjoy. 
uh, that's this time with Alan Grubman as much as I have. Um, he's really, as I said, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're going to hear how he ascended to that level of greatness, and you're going to hear a little bit about a lot about rock and roll. Um, and we're going to do the same thing um, tomorrow. You know, we'll we'll talk together um, in the beginning of the show, and then we're going to play the rest of the Alan Grubman interview um, tomorrow. So um, sit back. You know, if you have a libation, it's uh, Wednesday night. It's Hump Day. It's the little holiday week. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy uh, Alan Grubman, and um, it should be a good listen. Take things over. I've had such a great experience at Pompeii Gift Baskets. It's the holidays. You want it done, you want it done right. Now, Pompeii Gift Baskets provide a wide array of customizable gifts and, and, and the gift baskets and featuring luxury wines, champagnes, beer, coffee, snacks, chocolate truffles, wine and liquor bottles can be engraved with a special message, a photo, a logo. Basket themes are personalized and can be anything from elegant and chic to masculine and sports themed. They even have kosher options. So you can go to PompeiGiftBaskets.com. You create your custom order. Daniela is there. She's awesome. She'll work within any budget. Get your gift just right. They deliver throughout the U.S., by the way, from single baskets to large corporate orders. Call Pompeii Gift Baskets at 551-221-7167, 551-221-7167, or visit PompeiGiftBaskets.com, P-O-M-P-E-I, GiftBaskets.com. Hi, it's Arthur Idala here for Bay Ridge Honda, run by my family friends, Rob and Danielle Sabah. This family-owned and operated Honda dealer for over 60 years is just phenomenal. I've gotten cars there. My whole family does. All my friends do. People come from Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, Queens, the Bronx. My parents have bought a car there. My sister and brother-in-law. Everyone I know go to Bay Ridge Honda. You know why? Because Rob Sabah and his team are the best and most trusted in the business. Tis the season to celebrate with happy Honda days going on now at Bay Ridge Honda. No payments until March, March of 2024, lowest prices of the year selling on the MSRP this month. Brand new 2024 Hondas in stock and ready for delivery. Your favorite Honda models, the great Honda Accord, the Honda HRV, the Honda CRV, and more. Be sure to ask the staff at Bay Ridge Honda about the Bay Ridge Plus package that will have your new or used car covered. So visit Bay Ridge Honda, 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. The Happy Honda Day sale ends January 2nd, 2024. If you're looking for a solution to aches and pains, if you're looking for a supplement that works, Relief Factor is your supplement. And I don't think that Relief Factor is just for people who are older. It's for everybody. Me being 36 years old, I started taking Relief Factor about a year and a half ago. And as a young man, I, I, I'm not dealing with excruciating incapacitating joint discomfort and stuff like that. I, I really take it for preventative measures. And it was my lower back initially. And it worked for me that way. And so if you're not experiencing these things yet, use Relief Factor preventatively. If you are experiencing these things, there is nothing else that will make you feel better, in my opinion. Relief Factor, they put turmeric in it. Um, they also put in omega-3s, which is just some of the natural ingredients that they put in there to help your body naturally fight off inflammation. So... Go to relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com, or call the number 800-4-RELIEF. That is 1-800, the number 4, RELIEF. Remember when you were in your teens and you thought you were invincible? Well, the same rationale applies to adults, too. When we're feeling good, we think everything is okay, and we don't need a power of attorney, or we think we don't need a healthcare proxy. We think, ah, we'll worry about that when we're older or we become sick. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or healthcare proxy. What happens then? Then the state or the courts may have to make those choices for you. Is that what you want? Of course not. It's essential to create a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy as soon as you can when you're healthy. Call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. They really know this stuff. They've been doing it for 40 years. They will help you make a plan that protects you best. You'll designate who you want to make decisions for you. For a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, call 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Listen to AM970 The Answer on Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, or Odyssey.com.
Lawyers have been called a lot of things, but rarely are we called cool. That all changed on November 5th, 2022, when my guest became the first, the first lawyer inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let me just give you some names, drop some names that this Hall of Fame lawyer has represented. The Village People, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Cool and the Gang, Rod Stewart, Sean Combs, Luther Vandross, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jennifer Lopez, Mariah Carey, Elton John, Madonna, U2, Sting, John Mellencamp, and Bruce Springsteen. Then throw in some of the world's biggest music companies like iHeartMedia, MTV, Live Nation. What these artists and companies have in common is a decades-long appreciation of the brilliant, creative mind and deal-making skills of the empathetic and honorable gentleman sitting directly across from me today. In a business of vipers and pickpockets, this man is known as a mensch. Please welcome Alan Grubman. Thank Hello, you very Alan. much. I'm very happy to be here today. Now, let me leave anybody out of all your... Uh, big names there probably are some but that's enough i am very happy with your list okay so i want to ask you some some serious questions and i'm going to have a little bit of fun okay shoot why does the music industry attract so many sketchy characters it generates problems and controversies because people claim that they wrote part of songs and that sometimes they did sometimes they didn't but at the end result most of it gets resolved and when you're dealing with creativity everybody has their own view of what's creative and what's not and sometimes somebody will say well i wrote those notes on such and such a time is that part of the song that i'm hearing now so there's oh it, it there's no objective way of looking at a song and saying that nobody ever did this or everybody ever said, did this. So you always have people who are complaining that songs were partially written by them or they just make it up. It's a way of getting publicity for certain people. So the bottom line is litigation is it's common, but it very often leads to 99% of the time a res resolution and most of the time these claims are baseless and the few that do have validity are usually resolved but you know everybody wants to take credit for everything That's so why historically artists even like chuck berry little richard even elvis were in like these lopsided deals that would generally favor the record companies and management and how publishers and publishers so right. tell us a little bit Alan Grumman, how did that come to be? Well, in the 50s, you know, it, the music industry was a very di different industry. It was owned very often by private individuals. Now these companies are multinational public companies, Sony, UMG, even Warners. Uh, but in those days, it was a very small business. And very often, artists would take an advantage of. You would have some unknown artist who has the opportunity to have a, to make a record or to get signed by a publisher. They very rarely had lawyers. They very rarely had sophisticated lawyers. Whatever was put in front of them, they signed because they wanted to be a recording artist or they wanted to be a songwriter. So they really were not focusing on what they were giving away. And uh, that was the case for many, many years. But as the business grew and became more sophisticated and lawyers such as myself started to practice, I would say in the 70s, then everything started to have a different perspective. Artists needed to be protected because they were being taken advantage of. And when sophisticated lawyers would approach these companies, they realized that their old game was coming to an end, that they couldn't just take absurd advantage of these young artists. And what ended up happening, the deals started to become more balanced, more balanced, more balanced. And at a certain point, the artist was, was more important in the negotiation than the company. Because a unique artist is one of a kind. There were always a lot of record companies, always a lot of publishing companies. In 2022, just now, when you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this is what Bruce Springsteen had to say about you. Alan was instrumental in rebalancing the scales in favor of the artist. 
While they call it the music business, the business always held the upper hand. Alan turned that around. Bruce is giving you credit with yeah. turning it around in favor of the artist. So tell the people a little bit. How does, how does Alan Grubman, a, a guy from Brooklyn, how do you turn it around? Well, first of all, you know, when we got into the 70s and I started practicing law, um, I would develop relationships with the record companies and the publishing companies. And who were the record companies at the time? It in the was 70s? CBS, Warner's, Polygram, and the major publishing companies. And I would sit down and explain to them that times have changed and you have to catch up to the times and it's not a good image for you to take advantage of an artist or a, or a songwriter it's not in your best interest because it became a very public industry and as time progressed through the seventies they realized that the deals that they made in the sixties and fifties weren't going to cut it and i was very very proactive it's a fancy word yelling and screaming at all these people and saying if you don't change, you're going to die. I don't mean physically, I mean professionally, the company. And as time went on, by the time we got into the 70s and 80s, just as Bruce said, we turned the tables. Because somebody like a Bruce Springsteen to a CBS Records was more important than CBS Records was to Bruce Springsteen. We had the upper hand, because when Bruce Springsteen put out a record, it generated enormous amounts of money for these companies, much more than in the 50s and 60s. So the leverage changed. All of a sudden, the artists had greater leverage than the companies, and I took advantage of that. I made sure that with that leverage, they ended up being treated properly and getting the right deals and being getting what they would do, which wasn't the case in the 50s and 60s. Okay, so I, I, need to, I need to go back to the genesis of all this. Give me, first of all, the genesis of you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? Give me a little bit about that. I, I, I grew up in, in Brooklyn. Um, I, at the age... What neighborhood? Crown Heights. Okay. Leffitt's Avenue between Schenectady and Troy, for people who know that area. God bless. When I was 11 years old... And this is a, a story that many, many people know who, who know me. Uh, my mother was a stage mother and pushed me into getting an audition at a television show in New York called the, N the Horn and Harder Children's Hour. Horn and Harder was an automat cafeteria. They sponsored this show with young children, you know, performers. And it was on every Sunday morning. So I was on that show for two years. My mother pushed me, got into audition. I got on the show. At the age of 13, my voice changed. So all of a sudden, my career in front of the camera was kaput, over. And that was that. And then I ended up going to college, City College. Very good. 23rd in Lexington. And then after that, I didn't know whether I wanted to get a degree in marketing, an MBA, or going to law school. So I ended up applying to law schools, and I was fortunate enough in those days, because I wasn't a great student, to get into Brooklyn Law School. So I'm in Brooklyn Law School, and I remembered when I was on television that everybody like lived well. They would take us to the best restaurants when we were on a break. They would... Uh, take me home in a limo to and from. So I said, that burned an image in my head that I never forgot. So I said, okay, now I'm in law school. Maybe I want to be an entertainment lawyer because I remember all that I experienced when I was 10 years before. So I graduate law school. How'd you do in law school? Not well. I mean, but I don't want to say it too loud. Not there's a well. rumor out there that you know, your, your class rank was number two. Is that an exaggeration? Or? From what the bottom. Oh, is that, is that what it is? Oh. <laughs> Not from the top. Okay. Um, and um, so I graduated law school and um, I taught for a year. There was a terrible need for teachers and there was a thing called the Vietnam War going on. Ah. So if you taught you got a deferment because there was a desperate need for teachers in those days. 
So I taught for a year until I was 26. And then I finally got a job. I wanted to be a movie and television lawyer, but I was able to get a job with a gentleman by the name of Walter Hofer, who was a music lawyer. He had represented the Beatles in the early 60s, etc. And he gave me my first job. Stand by for more with Alan Grubman. Won't you please, please help me? This is Joe Piscopo. The following is a medical minute sponsored by my friends at InfuCare RX, a leading specialty infusion pharmacy provider for patients with complex conditions. InfuCareRx.com, improving quality of life one patient at a time. Here is Dr. Mario Vukic of Hackensack University Medical Center. Intravenous immunoglobulin can be used in those patients who are on immunosuppressive therapy, have primary immunodeficiency, or help prevent severe infection. IVIG is useful in conditions that are a result of an overactive immune system. From a neurologic point of view, it is used in conditions which result in intermittent weakness, numbness, or a combination of both, including CIDP, multifocal motor neuropathy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, dermatomyositis, and polymyositis. Recently, we have seen IVIG used in certain cases of long COVID respond positively to therapy. This Medical Minute is sponsored by InfuCareRx, and the information, comments, or views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of InfuCareRx. Please consult your medical professional for any medical questions, opinions, or guidance. Hi, this is Judge Kamins, a partner at Idala Bertuna and Kamins, and where Arthur Idala of the Arthur Idala Power Hour works at his 24-7 day job. In 2014, I retired from the bench to join ABK, which is a full-service preeminent boutique firm that has been helping New Yorkers when legal problems arise. ABK is uniquely qualified to assist New Yorkers who have a wide range of legal problems, from personal injury claims and civil litigation to criminal defense and trusts and estates. I personally work on appellate matters, attorney disciplinary matters, and complex legal issues with a dedicated group of attorneys who provide a team approach to each case. There is no legal problem too big or small for this talented and hardworking legal team. So when you think of the Idala Power Hour, also keep in mind ABK, the power legal firm. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. Many students finish college without a clear path towards a career. Do you know a graduate in this position? Well, tell them about Plaza College's accelerated program in court reporting, which allows them to speed their way into the legal field and make great money without going to law school. This is an in-demand, lucrative career with flexibility that more people need to know about. I speak to the district attorney's offices often, and they are in dire need of court reporters. Courts, schools, and television stations are all seeking these professionals to record record and caption everything from depositions, classes, live shows, and sporting events. And the National Court Reporters Association has partnered with Plaza College to offer a free two-week virtual seminar that gives a glimpse into the world of court reporting and captioning. The program is called A to Z and is being offered free and can be completed from the convenience of your home. So sign up today by emailing info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at plazacollege.edu. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Author Idola Power Hour. Here's more with Alan Grubin. Who would you consider was your first big client? First one that really, like, put you on the map. Let me think. I would have to say it was two. It was Hall and Oates and the police. Really? In the 70s was the disco era. And in the 70s, I ended up representing so many of these disco acts, several of which you mentioned. Um, but the first, you know, bona fide superstars that was, was the police, which was Sting and, and Hall and Oates. And then in 1980, after representing all of these disco acts, and they were great. They're still around today. How was it representing the village people? It was a bo- It was so much fun. They were fun guys? Oh, it was hysterical. It happened by accident. Um, th- there were two Frenchmen that created the village people. One was the songwriter and one was the businessman. And um, 
what they did, they came to America and they didn't know how to put together a group. So what they did is they held open auditions and they were starting to hold all these auditions and one guy after another and eventually he picked four guys, Jacques Morali. At my apartment, there was a, a piano, baby grand piano. They had no money, so he would come to my apartment and he would write songs. So these four guys said, when, when are we going to make a record? When He would come to my apartment during the day and write. He was very talented. And he wrote two songs, Macho Man and In the Navy. Great. And he wrote these songs, and then what happened was he said, okay, let's give it a shot. They went into the studio and did these two demos almost as an accident. You know, in other words, they said, what the hell? And somebody listened to it and said, this stuff is great. And we ended up making the re a record deal with Casablanca Records. And they exploded. Now, they all lived in the village. In the village in those days, when you went out to bars on Friday night, Saturday night, got all dressed up. So all these guys dressed up. One was dressed as a policeman. One cowboy. was just a fireman. One was a cowboy. And that was how they, the village, they all hung out in the village. So that's how they created the village people. They named it the village people. And they dressed in Do those outfits. Do you remember outfits. how the song YMCA came into life? Well, it was in the Navy and Macho Man, and then the sec second round, YMCA and um, San Francisco, they had about, they wrote about six or seven, till this day, class, they didn't write it, it's Jacques Morali, the, of the two Frenchmen, one was creative, he wrote all those songs. Now, did that time, did they make the kind of money that these artists in 2022 make? They are making, the village people today, are making more money than they've ever made in their lives. Why is that? Even though, because in those days, the record royalties were very small. You know, and so they, they didn't, and there were four of them. So they didn't make that much money individually, and they made some money touring. So the, the money was totally different than it is today. Today, uh, if, you, if, if an artist does Madison Square Garden, they could take out a million dollars. If there's somebody like Billy Joel, you could take out three. What do you mean when you say take out? I mean that's that would they, be there. That was what, what they would get. earn for the night. In those days, the numbers were minuscule. But what ended up happening in the you know after the, in the early 2000s, there was a resurgence of disco music. You remember Donna Summer and all of these other acts, and they started working. And now when they were working, they were making 10 times more than they were making in the 70s. So the 70s created these acts, but they're really cashing in on it the last 15 years. Well, let me ask you about the progression, because Alan Grubman, you've lived through it all. Literally, when you started, they, there were two formats of music, right? There were albums and there was a track. And then no, you, there were albums and there were singles. Singles, there right? Were, there, there were... There were LPs, 45s, LPs right. and 45s. Right. And there was 8-track for a little while. And there was 8-tracks. and Cassettes. Then after, cassettes. CDs. CDs. And now... Streaming. Right. And everything before streaming basically is irrelevant. So tell me how that affected the finances. How did that affect your job? CDs changed the game. Because every, everybody's collection of LPs, they had to go out and buy CDs because those were outdated. So in the 80s, there was a tremendous resurgence, and that's when record companies started making a fortune because everybody had to take their entire collection and buy CDs. Uh, now, do the artists make money on that? When, when yes, because every time... So a Village People al album that now someone buys the Village People they CD... Got, they got a new royalty. Okay. Because it was, it was a different product. And, uh, and in the 80s, the music business surged because of CDs. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, artists started selling, instead of half a million, million, as you got into the late 80s and 90s, they were selling 5 million, 10 million. Saturday Night Fever 
which was, I think, in 79 or 80. That was when it really started. That record sold 20 million, that soundtrack. But it was one of a kind. But then when you got into the 80s, and, you know, you had the Eagles, and you had all these other... The sales started generating in the millions instead of in the hundreds of thousands. In the old days, a gold record was 500,000. Then the platinum record was a million. And then it just... Double went, platinum. The yeah, it went through the stuff. roof. And they were so, so Alan, let me ask you a question. You, you know all of these people, and we rattled off some of the names. Do you have any, like, personal relationships with them? Like, you know, I'm a lawyer. There are most of my clients I do not have a personal relationship with. And then there are a couple who, I, you know, we've just really hit it off. And we've, we've maintained a friendship through the years. Is there anyone that falls uh, into you know that something? category? I wouldn't start saying who are my friends or not friends because I'd be upsetting people or right. maybe not. But I will tell you this, that John Mellencamp called me up when, when he heard that I was being inducted. And he said, Alan, I've known you since the early 80s. I'm not asking I am telling you, I am inducting you. And I said, fine, of course. But, you know, I have professional relationships with all of our clients, and I have personal relationships with several of them. Well, let's hear what uh, what, what, uh, our friend Bono has to say. Bono! Edge! Adam! Larry! You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. Aren't musicians supposed to have ears? That's my style. My style is I am very verbal and very loud. And when somebody isn't listening, I make sure they listen. Yes. And you have a good relationship with with Bono, obviously. I've I've represented Bono probably 20 years, Elton John 25 years, Bruce 35 years, Mariah Carey since she's... Yes, these are all very long, well-established relationships, and we're, we have enormous respect for each other. What keeps a band like you two together for all these years, and other bands that you've represented who split up after... We have to have tremendous success, but a much shorter period of time. History. Let's take you two, for example. Those guys have been together since they're 17 years old. So it's truly, you know, everybody throws out the word, we're family, we're family. They are truly family. They're now 60. So that means they know each other over 40 years. They stick together. When bands break up, very often it's for emotional reasons as well as practical reasons. For some reason, they stop having that magic together. They start irritating each other or one party or one member thinks that he's creatively more important than the other. There's a, it's relationships. It's like marriage. It's like anything else. Very often marriages don't last and there are those occasions where marriages last 60 years. Would you say ego plays a huge role in some of these Ego situations? plays a huge role in life. Uh, the, the guy who delivers groceries has an ego. Uh, the, the, the name of the game is to try to manage your ego, and some people can and some people can't. But, you know, when, when you stand, you know, I, I've asked this of, of a few of my clients, how do you deal with getting up and performing in front of 70,000 people? How do you do that? I mean, I would look out and I would say, holy shit, this is crazy. They have the ego and the ability to stand and perform and feel comfortable. That's ego and whatever else it is. You have to have an ego to be a performer. Whether you're an, a rock star, whether you're an actor, even if you're behind the camera, if you're a great director, great record, you have to have an ego. You have to believe in yourself and believe that what I'm doing is special. We have to take a break, folks, but we'll be right back more with Alan Group. It's a beautiful day. everybody, I'm Kathy Lee Gifford, and I've been around a long time. Every one of us, as we age, realizes that things are changing in our bodies, in the world around us. Lots of times I don't like what's happening, uh, so what can I do about it? Well, the one thing we can do is pray, right? 
The other thing we can do is take better care of ourselves. I do that by taking balance of nature because I'm not really good at nutrition. I'm too busy, I'm on the run, and I don't eat enough vegetables, and I certainly don't eat enough fruit. And when I take balance of nature, I can feel good that I've done something for myself that I can actually control. So take control. Get balance of nature. Celebrate Christmas with us. Go to balanceofnature.com and sign up as a new preferred customer to get 35% off your first order, plus a free fiber and spice supplement. Go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751 and get this exclusive holiday offer by using discount code KLG. Hi, it's Arthur Idala, and whether you're an owner of one machine or have a fleet of hundreds, Esco Truck and Equipment can help with all your equipment needs, whether it be purchase, lease, or rent the right machine to improve your business. Esco provides a full line of link belt excavators, light equipment from Dynapack, and Chicago pneumatic or handheld power tools from Steel. Esco Parts can stock an extensive inventory and retrieve parts quickly to minimize your downtime. If you break down in the field and need a part, Esco certified technicians will come to you on site to get you back to work quickly. Esco is there for you every step of the way with regular maintenance, inspections, service, and repair. Serving New York and New Jersey, call Joe Egenio at 718-504-2600. That's 718-504-2600. Or go online to escoequipment.com. That's E-S-S-C-O equipment.com. Esco Truck and Equipment is a DeFazio company. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970. The Answer. Welcome back to this spectacular show for me. Uh, this interview with Alan Grubin is very special. Sit back and listen. So let's talk about what you do as a lawyer. Let's listen to another clip from another one of your very, very famous clients. By the time I met him, I'd, I'd never met a lawyer before. So I had nothing to compare him with apart from the character of Robert Duval in The Godfather. So I had no idea what other lawyers were like, and I still don't. So that's Sting telling you that, you know, basically he's indicating you're the only lawyer he's ever had. He never knew what a lawyer was, and he still ever. does it except for you. Tell me a little bit about how you met Sting, how you came to represent him, and, and what your interactions have been like with him. Um, he was managed by, this is in the 70s, by a gentleman by the name of Miles Copeland. The group police had three members, Sting... Andy Summers. Andy Summers and Stuart, and Stuart Copeland. Copeland. Miles Copeland. Miles was Stuart's brother. Okay. So I started representing Miles, and he represented other. He had represented, I remember, Wishbone Ash. He had a few acts in those days. And then all of a sudden, his brother becomes a member of this group, the police, these three guys. That's how I met the police. And out of the blue... They recorded a record called Roxanne. And Roxanne was the first hit that the police had. And it exploded. And they became huge. And I represented them for several years. And then eventually, Sting, the group broke up. And Sting went out on his own, who who has had a brilliant solo career. And then I've continued to represent Sting. So tell the folks... What do you actually do? Alan Groom, you're the lawyer for the police. What do you do? Are you, are you helping them lease their apartments? Are you getting that? What do you do Not as a lawyer? Week. Not, Not this week. Not this week. What do, well, what do you do for, as a lawyer? Well, as a lawyer in, in the media business, you're a businessman as well as a lawyer. So when, when, our, when our artists have to make deals with their record companies, with their promoters when they go out on tour, when they do their endorsements, when they decide that they want to have clothing lines. Every transaction that they are involved in, the firm negotiates, represents, and makes sure that everything is done properly. So we're business advisors as well as lawyers. We have two functions. So when you would sit down on behalf of the police or on behalf of Sting, 
you're the one who's sitting on the other side of the table from a record company. And, and I will negotiate the deal with the record company. They very often have managers who are very effective, but I usually do the negotiating. And then, you know, the manager is involved, et cetera, et cetera. And then after the negotiation is over, there's an enormous amount of legal work that's involved in these. So the law firm is 50 lawyers. So we do all the legal work. So there's obviously a lot of lawyers that watch this show because of that. It's, it's our profession in a very general sense. How do you charge people like this? Is it an hourly basis? Is it a percentage? Is it you guys just sit down over a cup of coffee and figure it out or a little of, of it, everything? It depends. If it's a corporation, usually we do monthly retainers. And when we do special deals for them, we charge fees on top of that. Um, when they are... Uh, artists um there there are two ways the general day-to-day stuff we do for them we work out some monthly retainer or whatever but i call it instinctive billing when we go out or when i go out and make a huge deal for a client i figure out what i think is fair and then i'll sit down with them or the manager and tell them what i think is fair and there's usually a five-minute negotiation Nobody said, oh, that's great, just for the sake of it, and it takes five minutes, and, and we work out the fee. So that's instinctive billing, which is where, the, where we generate big fees. But all the other stuff we do is either on a monthly retainer, and we have certain corporate clients that insist being billed hourly, which doesn't really choke me up, but I deal with it. Alan, I think what makes you so unique is... I've never heard the term instinctive billing before. I don't believe it's something they teach in law school. However, I think it is fantastic, and I think it's very real. It uh, is. And I think it's something that happens in, in my line of work as well. I now have a new term that my lawyers here are going to hear on a regular basis. So give me an idea of what the part of your job that you like you don't really like that much, but it's a necessary evil that you have to do. I am a lawyer. I hate doing day-to-day legal work. In other words, I don't remember the last time I ever read a contract, and God knows when I drafted a contract. I don't enjoy that. My ability, I believe, is to communicate with people and be able to convince them that what I think my clients should have or get, I convince them of getting as close to that as possible. That's my talent. My talent isn't sitting at a desk and, and reading a co- contract or writing a contract. Have you ever been in the courtroom? Yes, when I was, in, when I was inducted into the bar. When I was admitted, I should say. <laughs> that was, that was the last what time. What year was that? 68. Okay. 68, I think. Of all of the, the clients you've dealt with, who do you think would, make, would have made a great lawyer in front of a jury, in front of a courtroom? Bono. Very bright, very well-spoken very well respected and admired he would have been a great lawyer but he wouldn't have made as much money as he makes yeah well <laughs> that that i understand can you think of an example of of people artists who have had poor representation and it's really hurt them it wouldn't be appropriate for there i know several artists so it does happen oh yes absolutely and poor representation could be a fatal illness because every artist usually has a certain amount of time that they are at the top of their game and if they miss that opportunity how do you count for someone like the rolling stones i've known mick you know to say hello i've never represented him he knows who i am and i know who he is and um you know those guys run they're the you know, they're the ultimate outlier. I, say, I sometimes wonder. The Beatles were active, I think, from 62 to 69. I wonder what would have happened if the Beatles stayed together. What would have happened? Nobody knows. You know, I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this weekend. I took my grandkids. And there's every rock star in the world. And then there's Paul McCartney, who's at level 12. He is the ultimate rock star. The Beatles. And everybody acknowledges, whether it's Bruce, whether it's Mick Jagger, whether it's you 2 whoever it is, well, this Paul is, McCartney. This is, this is what McCartney. I heard Mick Jagger say. He said, 
I will give the, the Beatles as being a great studio band, but they never did a tour. They never did a real like arena tour, a real like stadium tour. And he said the Rolling Stones are the best live band, and I think that's a fair compliment. Okay, considering they've been around for sixty but years. The question is that I always get: Will the Beatles' music and will Frank Sinatra's music? Still be played a hundred years from now. And what's Alan Grubman's answer? Um, I would say because I thought about this, I would I would say that for different reasons, both of them. Now remember, the Beatles are the Beatles because of the music they wrote. Sinatra is Sinatra because of the music he sang. But you know, Sinatra. Started in the 30s. It's it's 90 years, and he's still Frank Sinatra. So I think he's going to be around forever. And the Beatles are incomparable. I don't represent them, so I'm not saying it from my perspective. There was only one Beatles. I, Rolling Stones were a great live band. U2 was a great live band. Elton John, great live band. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I hope you guys enjoy that as much as I do. Stay tuned tomorrow for the second part of our interview with star lawyer Alan Grubman. And I miss the success. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna and Cammons, PC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.